Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, welcome to another edition of Soap from the Box, the podcast where I interview actor friends who've been in some of the biggest continuing dramas in the country. And there's no bigger than Coronation Street. And this week, they celebrate their 60th birthday. So break open the balloons, break open the booze, break open the birthday cake. I have got a very special edition coming in three days' time with a current cast member who's been in Coronation Street for over 30 years. But today, someone who's a loose woman, someone who is just about to start in Hollyoaks, and someone who rocked the nation when she appeared in Coronation Street, the amazing Denise Welsh. Enjoy. Okay, so my guest on this week's podcast is here to start celebrations of the Coronation Street anniversary, 60 years, which is incredible. Her history is amazing as well. So many programmes, I can't even list them all. Soldier, Soldier, Holby City, Waterloo Road, Where the Heart Is, EastEnders, Biker Grove, Born and Bred. Denise Welsh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's an amazing backstory. We're obviously here, first of all, to talk about Natalie Horrocks in Coronation Street. You were there from... February 1997 to December 2000. But in that three years, you basically cemented your place in history. I mean, I can't believe it was only three years you were in it. Seven, eight, nine, ten. No, it was four. So Four years. Uh, four years, yeah. And what was it like joining such an institution? It was terrifying and very in mind. I was in my late 30s when I joined. Well, I've been around a bit, but I was terrified. And I had been watching the show. You know, it, it, Coronation Street was in my DNA. You know, it was because I'd grown up with it. And even even when you were little, it, it was just on all the time. You know, my mum was obsessed with it. So I was in awe. You know, when you when you get to a certain age and you've done quite a lot in this industry, you kind of think that you would get a bit more blasé about things. But I could have met Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and people like that, and I wouldn't have been as Nora as I was meeting Liz Dawn and Bill Tarmy and <laughs> Eileen Darbush and Barbara Knox, you know? I mean, I was absolutely in awe, and I was also terrified of calling them by their character name. I know. I mean, when I joined Soap, and I have to say, I normally start with a memorable moment, and unfortunately we haven't worked together, but my memorable moment really of you is I used to go with my nan and granddads, and they're not here anymore, and actually they never got to see me direct Coronation Street, which I'm really sad about, but hopefully they're up there proud of me. But I just remember going over and Sally and Kevin were my favourite characters. And then I remember Natalie Horrocks came in and kind of tore it apart. I know. I mean, it was when I went for the audition and there was a, a sequence of auditions and I never thought that I'd get it because I'd always wanted to do Corrie. 
I would have been happy to do one episode. You know, it became a bit of a cult thing, if you remember. People really, you know, people like Derek Jacobi, Cliff Richard, my, you know, Michael Crawford, all of these people wanted to come in and do one bit. So it's sort of, every actor kind of wanted to do a bit. So I'm yeah. sort of the moon to, to get the audition for this. But I knew that there was a lot of well-known people up for the role. And um, when I went in to see Brian Park and Judy Hazel, casting director, when they told me... Um, what the role was, I and, and I was sort of sworn to secrecy. You know, they said that this character is going to come up and she's going to break up the Westers. So, of course, no one in their right mind thought that that contract was ever beyond three months, which was the initial contract, because everyone, you know, you thought that the Websters would, would split up, Kevin would have a, a much refreshed affair, and off Natalie would go, and she would be a name that would be bandied around in arguments for years to come. <laughs> yes, yeah. So I was more surprised than anyone when the contract became six months, then it became a year, you know. And, of course, it was also difficult because I was one of the only people then who didn't live in the Northwest. And so when they offered me a year's contract, I was incredibly homesick. You know, there's weekend filming and I couldn't always get home. And so we had to make the decision for them to come down to the Northwest. And ironically, that's where I'm talking to you from now. How amazing, isn't it? <laughs> well, before we go on, I've got a little surprise for you talking about those characters we were talking about. I'm going to play it to you now if everything works. Hi, Denise. It's Michael Lavelle here. Hi, Denise. We want you back in Coronation Street. Yeah, we need Natalie Barnes back. But we've heard a rumour that you're going to... Hollyoaks. And their gain is our loss. What's that about, eh? <laughs> we love you, Denise, so much. Love you. And give our love to Lee, won't you? Bye. There we go, the brilliant Michael and Sally. <laughs> well, I mean, that's fantastic. I, Sally's one of my great friends. Michael I haven't seen for ages, so it's lovely to hear his voice. I mean, to be honest, you know, Corey never asked me back and I never asked to go back, you know. it was uh, The thing is about going back to, a, a, to an established show like that is that when Beverly Callard left a couple of times before she went back, there was always a reason for us to go back because kids lived there or Charlie was there, Jim, McDonald's. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Whereas obviously Natalie sort of didn't really have any family there or, or any reason to go back type of thing. So it's, it's something that I remember incredibly fondly and still remembered for. The power of soap is incredible. Bearing in mind, when Natalie eventually married Beth Barnes, her wedding was watched by 22 million people. I know, that's incredible, isn't it? I mean, I was looking through, actually, you're pretty much in the top five of episodes watched, which is, I mean, that's what a legacy, isn't it? That's amazing. Well, it is. And I mean, you know, bearing in mind, Natalie had gone in as a real sort of bitch. So obviously nobody thought that there could be a future for that character because she was a marriage wrecker and she wasn't very nice. And then, of course, they had to soften her a bit in order for her to stay in because she was a character that you loved to hate originally. And then, yeah. and then people sort of started to relate to her a little bit. And, and that's how the longevity of the character came around. But I always remember the day when, um, when Natalie had been made the landlady and it was a scene outside the um, the rovers, but we were then doing some still shots. So I'm outside the rovers, and they've put the heading above the pub, Natalie Barnes, and I've got the keys. And I remember phoning from the street, phoning my mum and dad, going, I'm the fucking landlady. <laughs> Not many moments in telly are that iconic when, when you're doing them. They often are to the viewer, but they aren't to you, the actress. But that was like, hang on a minute, we're talking about Bert Lynch. 
talking about Annie Walker. How are oh, yeah. the landlady of the Rovers return? It was a moment in time that I remember saying, I've got to ring my mum and dad from the street and let them know that because it was just so, so weird. And I think that's the thing as an audience member, because you said, right, the list before you, Jack and Annie Walker, uh, Bet Lynch, then Bet and Alec Gilroy, Jack and Vera Duckworth, that was the last couple before Natalie Barnes went up. And I think the audience forget, like, as an actor, that that's, you know, it, it never leaves you that moment of when you're on something so iconic. The fact your name's above the Rover's return. It was, it was the fact that going into the show was terrifying. You know, and even my mum, my mum, obviously, and my, my late mum and my dad, who's still thriving, and thank goodness. But, you know, my mum was a huge fan. But I remember once after a while, she went to me, I mean, obviously, I'm dead proud of you being in it and you're brilliant, but it's sort of ruined a bit to me when your daughter walks into the voters' return. It takes away the I remember my mum coming when I directed Coronation Street and she was sat in the gallery and, you know, she, she couldn't believe I was talking. To, she kept telling me to go and say, you know, don't forget that that character, you know, by the character name, don't forget, you don't be rude to that person. They've done that. And you're like, mum, because often I think the audience is that because it's in their lounges every day, people confuse it slightly with reality, don't they? I think they certainly did then, 24 years ago when I joined, because A, we didn't have the choice of programmes. There was 20 million people watching that show four times a week. And, and also, there was no reality, reality television. So that was people's reality television. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was unbelievable. But as I say, it was, it was hard enough for me to cope with what happens when you go into that because it's like you become so famous that everybody in the country knows who you are. So even somebody like me in my late 30s who had been in shows, as you mentioned, like Soldier, Soldier and stuff like that. Which were huge, which were huge as well, weren't they? I mean, massive. They were huge, but I was I was used to being recognised a bit. Nothing prepared you. So I would always be very sympathetic and had to be nurturing to the young kids who would come in because it changed. It was changing their lives within their first episode of being on telly. I didn't feel there was enough pastoral care there for them because it's very difficult to go through those life changes. It's a little bit different now because people have so many options of things to watch. So it's not quite so life-changing, but it was then. And I still think it is. I remember when I joined Hollyoaks, actually, which we'll get to, but in the in the cast handbook, there was a, just, you know, in the middle of a paragraph was, this will change your life. And I think, I mean, how do you feel? I think it's kind of, it's quite scary. You had all that experience behind you. I think for younger actors, it's like I always say to younger actors, really think carefully whether you do want that because it's an instant thing that you can't ever get back in a way, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I always remember when um, Brian Park, who was the producer who brought me in, has remained a, has remained a friend of mine. And, um, but, but we had it, we had it, he wouldn't mind me saying this, we had a tick one day because um, Adam Rickard had come into the show and Adam was a young guy, you know, green behind the ears, lovely looking boy, blah, blah, blah. And after about a month of him being on screen, we all were requested to go to some kind of do in Manchester together, you know. And when we came out, the paps were surrounding Adam and it was something he wasn't used to. He sort of, in a moment of stress, flipped the bird, and it was in the papers. And Brian came down on him like a ton of bricks. And I remember storming into Brian's office and going, <laughs> how dare you treat Adam like that? The poor guy was just a young lad from Cheshire a month ago, and now he's this sort of heartthrob of Coronation Street. He didn't know how to react. 
And um, yeah, we've talked about that, Brian and I, we've laughed about it since. But, you know, it was very important to me to look after these kids. And also when you're that age and, you know, you're going through changes and hormone changes and all of your friends who aren't in the business necessarily are going out and getting boyfriends. And suddenly you're at a stage where you don't know if people want to be with you because of you or because you're famous. I was old and ugly enough to deal with all of those things. But even then, it was still hard. I'll tell you what it was like. I took Matthew, who was then nine, to Wembley to see Michael Jackson. As I walked into Wembley Stadium, there was something like 50,000 people there. And this ripple of applause started. And and I am looking around and I realise, Lee, that they're clapping me. (laughs) Now, when you think that 21 million people watch that, I yeah. was looking at these 50,000 thinking, I can't imagine any more people than this. I mean, that's incredible. Michael Jackson's probably behind stage thinking, what's going on? Who on earth is that? Who else <laughs> out there we should have got her for support? But uh, how do you think things have changed with social media as well? Because in a way you think, is it harder for younger actors now? Because they're... I am very, very glad that my years are in advance as regards social media because when I was there we had these pigeonholes and all of your mail went into the pigeonholes so if you you know didn't want to read them you knew that they would be fan requests I used to read read them sent a lot up to my dad who used to do all my fan mail bless him at least least everybody got a personal response I used to go to Tracy's show I used to go Tracy Look, your pigeonhole's full and you haven't wrote Overflowing. I rem- any of those. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being at all the shows, you saw so many people's pigeonholes, they were just wicked, get bo- boiling over because they never looked at the mail. But, you know, I do remember getting a few letters and they were horrible, you know. I mean, oh, really? really? Vicious. Oh, God, yeah. There was one man who used to say that he had a campaign on News at 10 or something to get me off the telly. I mean, completely deluded, <laughs> obviously, but you've got the most horrible eyes and the most horrible mouth and the most, you know, and, but you can imagine that. Oh, t- but it's a millionfold on social, yeah, yeah. I was looking at this lovely girl that's on Strictly, this girl, Maisie, who's on Strictly, and apparently the trolling is vitriolic because she appears too confident. Too confident, I know. How dare you? She's a young girl. Just because she's not shy and retiring, that's maybe her defence mechanism. She'll be absolutely pulling herself on that show because I know what it's like to do that type of show. And what's right, we're in a world where supposedly we're supposed to be fighting for females to be confident. Do you know what I mean? So it's crazy that I know it is. I mean, I work with Maisie as a little girl in um, EastEnders, so it's amazing to see her her come so far. And she's a lovely girl, a family lovely. And it's, it's really heartbreaking when you see that. It's absolutely disgraceful. What I found with this podcast, which is lovely, is actually all the soap fans out there, most of them are really dedicated and lovely. I mean, this has been getting so much support, which is lovely. And the other thing as well is, you know, because we do have a lot of reality shows now, going back to what we were talking about, what we didn't. Now, a lot of people think that being famous is a job. And when you say to a young person, what do you want to do? And they say, well, I want to be famous. I want to be famous, Oh, that's yeah. good. Well, that's good. What do you want to be famous for? And they look at you, <laughs> yeah. and you, you know. Because you know what, Denise, when, when Barbara Windsor left EastEnders, who I've loved a bit, Barbara Windsor, and I said to her when she left, you know what is going to be really missed here is you being here because everyone it's the same with Barbara Knox I think you know the, the everyone knows their lines no one's late because these people demand respect and that's because they've worked the boards they've come from nothing they're not there because they wanted to be famous 
that's it. There's a lot of people who haven't done their apprenticeships. So sometimes yeah. when you hear that, that, you know, certain famous people have said, do you know who I am? And they turn up with an entourage. It's like, oh, my God, you've just been in Big Brother for three weeks. <laughs> I know. I mean, I went through two. I had two nervous breakdowns that I was in Corrie. Looking back, would I? Did I wish that I'd come out of it for a bit? Yes, I do. But I think it was just because we were brought up. The show must go on, and now the it's show must go on. People yeah, lose, people lose an eyelash. They're off. I know. And I mean, I've always grown up thinking this and so many people have said this on this show that, you know, you should always surround, you should never feel differently than this. You should always surround yourself with with people that are better than you in the room. And I think on Corrie, I mean, when you joined, I, what I love about Corrie is it's female icons and it still has that. I mean, did you have certain people you were just in awe of and that you learnt from on the job? I was, well, I was in awe of, of, of Barbara Knox. And, yeah. and and very early on in my time there, way, way before um, I, I was anything to do with the pub, Natalie's house was on location in Charlton. So on a on a Sunday, we would go off to do the, um, the you know, the, the, the filming on location. Yeah. And I remember look, looking at my script and seeing that, that I had this scene with Barbara Knox and they put us in this car together to go. <laughs> and I'm like, I could hardly breathe. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and, yes. And, um, and anyway, we sort of chatted and Barbara's quite regal, you know, Jane Barbara, we call her and she's quite sort of regal. Anyway, we got to the location. We did this scene, which was a cracking scene where I had to call her a cow or something. And I was thinking, oh my God, I've got to call, uh, you know, Barbara. Not <laughs> Dame Barbara, Barbara and cow. Yeah. Dame Barbara. <laughs> anyway, we got back in the car at the end of filming and Barbara Knox just turned to me and she said, I just want to say that it was a pleasure to do that scene. I've admired you as an actress for so long, and I am so thrilled that you have joined this show. And I remember phoning phoning home going... That was another one one to the mum and dad. (laughs) Well, I remember when I met Barbara, and I almost curtsied. Because you do feel like you're in the presence of like someone. I can't drop any names, but there was a certain person that came into the show for a short time that Barbara didn't approve of for many reasons. And it was when we had the big green room that you'll remember. Yeah. And um, if, if, this, if this person was sat in the green room, Barbara <laughs> would come in one end and all you would hear was, <laughs> she would just touch and walk through in her turban and out of the other door. Oh, my God. There were people like um, Bill Tommy. I'll tell you who was my probably one of my favourites. Before I went in and when I went in, which was um, Roy Barraclough and Alec Gilroy. Oh, I never, yeah, I never worked with him. What oh, show I loved it. Was he brilliant? He yeah. kept me going behind that bar because what a lot of people don't realise is that when you are the landlady or indeed the <laughs> yes. barmaid of a fictitious pub, the media make you out to be a pivotal character, which is brilliant. But in reality... You can have weeks on end with, with no saying a pint. Line. Yeah, <laughs> what would you ah. like a pint? <laughs> and basically, I ran out of ways to empty an ashtray in the back of shot. You know, <laughs> and so Roy Barraclough used to invent um, sort of the subplots. You know, for for for, hi, for him and I, and um, and behind and it was just it was hysterical. Also, we had this little rubbish prop that someone had clearly brought back from the souvenir stand in Spain and me and Alec used to have to place it in as many sets as possible and see if it was noticed <laughs> by anybody just to keep us going really because they are long days you know. Oh it's brilliant you bring that up actually we're not talking about it because the audience watching wouldn't know this but yeah you're right I mean we as directors you would go oh no we've got a pub date because A you've got loads of people in it B it's quite hard to stage because they are quite small sets still yeah, really. Yeah they are they're very small. 
And for actors, I always think it's two sides of the coin, isn't it? Because you know you're going to get paid okay because you're in lots. Well, that's exactly <laughs> but, what it was. I would look yeah. at the chart every week and I would see that I was always in four episodes, which obviously became five, but initially I was in all four episodes. So I knew that I was, I was going to, you know, I was always going to be there. And then when they made me the landlady, the thing is, like you said, the directors would just, if a continuity, would want you in the back of the shop all the time. All the time, so I yes. Say, oh, God, I was always inventing female conditions that I had that would hopefully embarrass the male directors <laughs> so I could get over the scene. <laughs> and also, as a landlady, you're always going to be in high heels as well. So it's that thing of, oh, what I love, if, if, only saw people, if only people saw the filming, like in Emmerdale, I just remember all of, the girls are all wearing kind of quite sexy outfits behind the bar, and they've got like a big pair of fluffy slippers on underneath that back behind the bar. Absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, I have very, very fond memories of it. And also, I was there for the first live. When I say the first live, obviously, they used to film it live. God knows how they did that back in the black and white days. I know. But oh I was God. one of the first. I, I did the 40th anniversary, which was the first live that we did as a, as a more contemporary cast. And I was pregnant in real life. I thought I was going to have to baby wow. Is that the one where they were trying, because they're kind of replicating kind of the same story, but they trying to save the couples in that one? Is that the one? Something like that. Something that, like yeah. that. I, re- I, I remember that Bill Roach, who was getting, he, well, he was he was probably mid-60s then, and he, he had the lion's share of it. And it's terrifying. I mean, I, oh, I, work, yeah. I work as a presenter as well. And, I and you've done theatre, so you, you're used to live, but that must be something totally different. When you are doing theatre, there are ways and pauses and moments that you can do to cover if you drive. And if you are presenting, like I present, you know, live stuff, I much prefer doing Loose Women live than, than if we ever in the day had to pre-record it. Because with a live show, you can go, oh, sorry, Andrea's just dropped her mic. Oh, what's going on here? Yeah, blah, blah, blah. yeah, yeah. You can't yeah. do that in a drama. You can't no. do it in a drama. You know? And also, you kind of put your career on the line, I think, because if you were to really mess up, you've got the whole world watching, and they'll be going, God, we're not going to give her a theatre job. 25 million people were watching. I, oh I, hadn't, I hadn't said anything by the first end of part one. And I remember going into the green room at the end of part one, and David Litterman, you know, big cheese at ITV, said to us, well done, everybody, 25 million. Honestly, oh, my God, the worst imagine. thing to say. The worst thing to say. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you can't comprehend that number of people. It's a third of the country. No, you can't. I was there for the last Corrie Live. I didn't direct it. But, I mean, it was an incredible, incredible atmosphere. But, I mean, you really felt for everyone. Now, before we move off to, on, on to the other things, Denise, I've got one more message for you. Hopefully you'll hear this. And this is another one from Sally. But here we go. Hi, Denise. I just want to send you this message to tell you how much I love you. I mean, I've known you for... Oh, 20 odd years now. And I just adore you. And I think that was my happiest time on Corrie was when you were in the show and we were together. And But you're a true, loyal, gorgeous friend. And I love you so much. You're such a special person. And I'm so, so proud of you. Everything you do. And I love you with all my heart. There we go. That's oh Sally. Oh, my God. That's really nearly really a little bit <laughs> oh my god i love sally i love sally so much she's one of the nicest people i've ever met she's gorgeous and i was dreading meeting her because i thought oh god is she going to be a diva you know i always think that you know when someone's she came in because when i started sally was off on maternity leave so i started the storyline and then of course sally who had on her own admission for quite some time her storyline had been go upstairs girls wash your hands do you want people yes to eat? yeah you know 
And then, of course, Natalie comes in, and suddenly Sally was just literally, you know, had come back from having a baby and is thrust into this huge storyline which hits all the front pages of the newspapers. And she was amazing. Do you know something? Do you know what really gets me, Lee? I, I think it's wonderful that we have the soap awards and all of those things. But when you have like a general awards ceremony and you have best actress, best actor, and then you have best soap actress, best soap actor, in a way, it annoys me. Because oh, totally. it, should just, yeah. it should just be best actor. Because if you can pull a performance out with the lack of rehearsal and the time limitations that you yeah. do on a soap opera, you deserve an award above above anybody else. I and totally agree. I, I get very angry when people sort of do, oh, this person's only a, Just only a soap, soap actor. actor. Sometimes nowadays you could be doing 15 episodes at a time. You'll be doing scene one from that episode, then scene 20 from episode 15. It's like making two movies in a week, two full Every two weeks, yeah. Movies in, in, you know, yeah. It doesn't matter what show you're in. It's how good you are. And there is some incredible talent in all of the soaps, obviously. Sally Jennifer is lovely. And I love the fact that in real life, you're best friends. She's coming up on the podcast on the anniversary of Corrie. And she said one of her favourite scenes ever was, I think she had to come around and wreck your flat. And she said she just loved it. Oh, and she had to write horror on my mirror. <laughs> yeah, which yeah. again, I think she loved it because from that moment on, Sally, the character changed. She told me that, that the advent of Natalie completely changed the trajectory of Sally because Sally just thought that she would be stuck with Kevin, you know, for, forever. And of course, suddenly Sally got all these men and, you know, I mean, and she just yeah. revolutionised her. It changed her completely, you know. So that's my legacy, that I gave another life to Sally Ripker. Sally well, uh, moving off, Corey, all I can say is you've left your own legacy there, which is incredible. I think people still absolutely love you for everything you've done, but for that... And let's just talk about the other soaps you've done, because I actually forgot you did this until I researched you, that you were, of course, in EastEnders as well. So you were the secret stepmom of Stacey, weren't you, Stacey Slater? Yeah, I was the mum of Riley uh, Carter, who was the trans um, character. Yes. And I didn't even know, I knew I was called Alison. This all happened very, very last minute. And one of my friends, who you'll know, Darren Little. Yes, of course, yeah. Darren, who was Brilliant writer. So Darren... Said, look, I've written this role in EastEnders and I really want you to, it's one episode, but I really want you to play it. But I think they're looking at somebody else. And I went, oh, well, okay, you know, yeah, fine, whatever. Anyway, long story short, it all sort of happened on the Wednesday and I had to shoot it the, um, the, next, the next week. And I went out and dyed my hair because they thought <laughs> my hair to look different. And I thought, this is all so quick. If I don't, they'll give me a really shit wig. So I'm going to go and dye my hair. <laughs> yeah. So, so I went and dyed my hair and suddenly, and I knew I was called Alison. But then when I saw all the publicity for it, I was Alison Slater. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm one of the Slater women. One of the Slater women. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I went in and I, and I did it over a couple of days and everybody was lovely. And, um, and then I remember the night it aired. I was in the theatre watching something in Manchester. And I came out in the bar after and looked at my phone. And it, it blowed up. Crazy. I bet. I mean, I, mean, I bet. God, I'd been for years. I'd been whatever I'd done. It was always... Coronation Street actress in East Welsh. I did one episode and it was EastEnders actress. EastEnders actress. Yeah. yeah. And you only did one episode. And actually, yeah. working, but, and again, you got part of the family. And Lacey is another actress I think is incredibly uh, talented and amazing. You also did Biker Grove for two years. Now, was that the years of Anton Deck or was that yeah, the was, after? Yeah. Oh, it, it was. was. Anton Deck years. 
So do you remember thinking, I mean, they are, I think, the best presenters, the best, what, two of the, you know, they're like an old style variety app. They're so incredible. I mean, did you see signs of that when you worked with them? Was, no, was, was that, no, 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 no. I mean, I was in my 20s. Yeah, what was I? I mean, I was probably about 30 and they were probably about, I think they were about 12. And I was filming Spender and Biker Grove at the same time. Okay, wow. Yeah. And, um, oh and, and you, you go years without telly, because I was mainly a theatre actress, years without telly, and then two come along like bosses, you know, same with my equity card. But, um, but yeah, so I was working, so it was the days of Anton Deck and the days of Jill Halfpenny, Donna oh, Air, yes. they, were, they were all in it. And of course, they were just, you know, cute little snotty-nosed kids. And Anton Deck, years later, came on my This Is Your Life, and they said, the reason why we had to continue in show business is because we failed all our exams because Denise used to teach us our maths when the chaperones were big <laughs> and the tutors. And they used to say to me, Denise, would you just sit and do the maths with these kids? And I can't do maths. So they blamed me for failing. That's brilliant. Exams. Well, they, but, but well, in a way, thanking you then for the career they've got. Thank you. They might You're be welcome. Exactly. You're welcome, well, Jane, yeah, exactly. It's all down to you, Denise. And then moving to Hollyoaks, uh, you were, all, you've actually appeared in Hollyoaks in the city before, haven't you? So it's not your first time in, in that arena. But that was a Darren Little thing as well. Oh, um, brilliant. He's one of my best friends. He knew was obsessed with crime and that I'd always wanted to play a detective and no one ever saw me as that so he had this Hollyoaks in the city which was a bit late night Hollyoaks and he yeah, said a bit raunchier. yeah it was raunchier but you know it was the fact that I could walk in with a badge and go hello detective inspector Willis or whatever I was called <laughs> and, um, and and it was yeah and Lee Warburton who actually played my son in Corrie remember oh, Lee? Oh yes yeah Lee, Lee played the owner of this sort of um a model agency that I had to go and, um, you know, have something to do with, I don't remember. Lee is now one of the most successful writers in this country. He's writing stuff for Red Productions. And oh, is he? I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, it's all, you know, a big soapy world. So that was that was two episodes, I think, 100 years ago. And now you're back playing Trish Miniver, who is, I mean, another link. I mean, it all goes around in circles. You're playing the mum of Nikki Sunderson, who also was another Corrie, Corrie person. It just shows, I mean, thank God you're nice, because you have to be, I've always thought from the very beginning of this industry, you have to be nice, because you're going to meet everyone about 100 times before you leave this what industry, What goes around comes around in this world, yeah. And the, the great thing about playing Nikki's mum is that she, she depressingly reminded me that she was 14 when I met her, and she's nearly 37. Um, wow. So she's the same age now as I was when I went into Corrie. Wow, that's because, amazing. Because we've known each other so long, we have kind of developed a shorthand as regards performance. So our right, mother-daughter yeah. relationship has evolved. I've only been filming for about a week and it was just so natural to be her mum. Do you find as an actor, actually, short, like you said, you've got the shorthand there with Nikki. I mean, is it quite hard to sometimes to establish because sometimes you go in as someone's wife or you're going in as a lover or you're going in as you know is it hard to get that have you learned tips along the way to get that shorthand quite quickly it's much easier if you are kind of the same sort of person do you know what I mean yeah. there is something yeah. a, there is something about filming in the north and being surrounded by northerners and with your kin do you know what I mean um, I've got a great guy who I can't name at the moment because they haven't announced him yet. Oh, yeah, my, your hunky my, lover. My young hunky lover. <laughs> I'm so excited to know who it is. When I saw the pictures of him, I thought, <laughs> oh, my God, she's so good looking. Oh, my God, he's so young. Oh, my God, oh, my God. I said, he's only going to have accepted this part because we're doing COVID filming and he knows he won't have to kiss me. Oh, but, um, silly. But what it is, is he's, he's um, 
I just thought, oh God, you know, what, what if he's arrogant? What if he's this? What if he's that? You know, he's yeah. the loveliest guy. He's absolutely spot on. And he was nervous and I was nervous. And, um, and so, but we've lapsed into these characters within, within a week. And, oh, and that's also, amazing. There's, there's one, one thing I did was when they offered me this role, you know, it was a big consideration. It's a year. You know, I, I, I know how hard soap opera filming is. I know what the schedule's like. I know how more difficult it is with COVID. I know yeah. that I'm going to be, I know that I'm going to get home on a Tuesday thinking I'm off the next day and I'm going to get and a you're Tuesday and you're not in. off the next yeah. day. I know all of those things. So I had to weigh all of that up with wanting to be a home, you know, being much more of a homebody. So I phoned Joe McGann, Kelly Bryan, an old writer, and Guy Burroughs, and um, Nikki. And I said, um, and listen, a friend of mine has been offered a year's contract in Because <laughs> I knew that if they had anything awful to say, they would say, oh, tell her to run. Oh, don't tell her not to, yes. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> well, that's clever, things, that's clever. One of the main things that they all said was, Ben, listen, sometimes the script will be late. Yes, you, they'll call you and you're not in, and then you think you're in and you're not, and vice versa. They said, but it is one of the happiest places to work. And I mean, Nikki's been there for eight years now. You know, yeah. and um, and I've never had such a welcome at any job that I've been to than I have had for all the departments at Hollyoaks. Oh, that's so brilliant. It, no, they I'm made it feel very special. Again, it sounds so like you know, sounds so rubbish, but it's not. I, every soap I've been to uh, is one big family, and it's uh, it is amazing because you uh, you have to be working that hard, but actually, it's there is a few. You know, of course, there's a few rough diamonds that come in that I think are quite quickly got rid of. I think in Corrie it was it it was difficult because these people were such were so iconic that you know yeah. even the older ones we'd grown up with them. But these you know I think that Brian Kirkwood, the producer, has really made it a mission to get the get people's real life characters right so that they blend as well. Do you know what I yeah. mean? And he's yeah, that's totally. how I think he's he's created such a and and I mean even the girls in the office because I keep saying to them, "Hi girls, listen." I know you told me to download, you know, this app and that app to get the schedule and everything, but I'm really old. So can you just tell me on the phone? Can you, yeah, can you do it the old phone? way? Can you do it the old way? And then you've got to be on a special, a special email. And I'm going, can you just send it to my email? <laughs> and you've kind of come full circle as well, because I read you got your equity card when you were teaching dance. Um, and you now are playing. Uh, Trish is a is a it does dance, doesn't she? And actually, you you're having to go. See, to I've proper... never made that connection. I've never made that connection. What what you've just said there that's hilarious. So I left drama school and I didn't have a job for nine months because back in those days it was catch twenty two. You couldn't work unless you had a card. You couldn't get a card. Yeah, yeah. You had to do your apprenticeship, and I wish those days were back. To be honest, but never mind. They're, they're <laughs> yeah. gone. But um, but you know, so I was out of work for nine months. I was waitressing. I was working in you know, rank Xerox stuff in envelopes. I was doing all of those type of um, jobs. And um, and then I got offered two equity cards within five minutes of each other. Wow. And w- one was at Newcastle at Live Theatre Company, which since has become a, a, a great, um, you know, a, a theatre that is one of my favourites in the country. But I had a boyfriend who became my first husband years ago um, um, in London. So as a young 21-year-old, I wanted to be in London so I took an equity card with Watford Palace Theatre 
And one of their tales was doing this thing called the Four Spirits or something, but it also meant that you had to help with these five-year-old dancers on a Saturday. Well, oh. I mean, I can, I, I can move a bit, but I'm not a dancer. But anyway, <laughs> that's how I got my equity card. So when I then find out that I'm a dancer, not one person asked me, when I when they Can you dance? Oh, I was, no, I could have been. <laughs> I could have been that. And come for all they knew. Yes, I remember we had Amanda Donahoe in Emmerdale, and and they wrote her beginning scenes, big, big huge scenes about galloping across a field on a horse, and no one had bothered to ask her until the day of filming could she ride a horse. She was petrified of them. <laughs> So they had to change the whole script. And what's it like now, Denise, being obviously an older woman in the industry? Do you find that better parts are hard to come across? Do you know what I mean? Is there, is there, I mean, I know a lot, I'm really good friends with Glynis Barber and stuff, and I know it's a challenge as you get older to find those really good parts. It is a challenge. And and yes, I do. I've always considered, oh, I love Glynis, I haven't seen her for ages. I, um, I, I always considered myself to be a character actress. So when I was young, my idols were like Irene Handel and Pat Coombs and Joan oh, Sims, yeah. you know, and all of those type of a- actors. So I never considered myself the leading lady. It was always that I was the character actress. So I was always the one that I didn't care about playing the lead, the title role. I wanted to be the character that came on in Act 3 and stole the show. Yes, and, yeah. And yeah, so I've kind of always thought, hopefully my roles will get better as I get older. And they have, but I'm also very lucky I did diversify into presenting as well. So, yeah. you know, at the moment, I'm at 62. Which I can't believe, by the way. When I read that, I thought Wikipedia had got it wrong. And I'm not just saying that. You look incredible. Oh, Lee, thank you. Well, I, you know, I look after myself a lot more now. I've been sober for, you know, nearly nine years now and stuff. And that makes a big difference mentally and physically. Yeah. But I'm busier at the moment, you know, in this rubbish year we're having than ever. I mean, I'm doing Hollyoaks. I'm doing another non-scripted thing, which I, I will let you know when I can say that. And I'm also doing Loose Women. So, I, when you know, when I can, they're very kind enough at Hollyoaks to let us do these things. So yeah. I'm busier than, than, than ever, um, which is great. So, you know, it's good to say that because testament that, you know, it is major especially yeah. against women. And, and, you know, I'm out there and I'm doing it in lots of different genres at 62. So, um, and I'm very proud of that. And you should be. And actually, you bring that up, and I don't want to dwell on it because you talked a lot about it, but I think we have to mention it, mental health, because you've been an advocate for it, But which is quite bizarre that you say, actually, you're busier than ever, but you've still, you've had a brilliant career, and it just shows that anyone can have a brilliant career, but you can still suffer from, from mental health. And we all know people who have. I suffer from, um, from clinical depression, from major depressive disorder, which I have done since. Matthew was born in 1989. And, and I am testament to the fact that if you do not let this illness define you, you can work with it. I've had several breakdowns over the years. I've been very open about them. The last yeah. one I had was last, well, we call them episodes now, but that's what we used to call a nervous breakdown, was last September when I impulsively chronicled an episode of depression in real time over a three-day period. I didn't think it through. I just did it to show people what this was like for someone that they considered to be it's very easy when you see people go, hi, I'm Denise Welch, I'm one of these look at me smiling and laughing and getting me boots yeah. But actually, and then to talk about being poorly, but to actually see it resonated with people so much. When I was well after a few days again, I had no idea this had gone viral. And it spawned the book that I wrote, The Unwelcome Visitor, because that's how I refer to my, um, to my depression, is as an unwelcome visitor. And what I say is, I cannot stop the unwelcome visitor coming. I can do certain things which 
which help keep them at bay a little bit. But my depression is endogenous often, so it's not reactive. So it's organic. It just happens. I wake up and it's there or I go to sleep and it's in the night. It's just, I just, it has its own life. But when it does, I have to just accept that it will be there. The unbroken visitor will be there. I have to ride it out. And it's, it's no less painful than it was 31 years ago. No, it's, a yeah. cripple, it's a crippling, isolating, debilitating illness that we have to prove we have. Nobody would say the things that they do to us that they would to someone lying in bed with cancer. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Nobody would go up to them and say, well, I know you've got that, but you look fine to me. Get your trainers on. Go out for a bloody good walk. I know. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, but, uh, but thanks to people like you, you bought it to the limelight. And I think to see someone like you, because what, what would your advice... I mean, we know there's so many people at home suffering. And one of, the, one of the reasons I did this podcast was to try to give people something to smile about. You know, to, just to kind of... To, it was to stop me going mad in lockdown as well, because, you know, in lockdown, you're surrounded by yourself. It's... When I did the book, and I was talking a lot about this um, at the beginning of, well, in June when it came out, obviously I didn't write this book to, knowing that we were going to go into one of the most difficult years in living memory. And yeah. so obviously many, many more people have discovered that they are out of control of their mental health. It doesn't mean they've got clinical depression. But they have certainly been out of control of their mental health. There is an increase in anxiety. There is a huge increase in attempted suicide. And of course, oh, the mental yeah. health services are on their knees, which they were before coronavirus, let alone let now. now. Yeah. All I would say is there is always somebody that will listen to you. Right. There is always some article, even about me, that you can show to somebody in your family who maybe doesn't understand. Back in the day when I had it first, and then if I didn't have my family, I don't know what I would have done. There was nowhere to go. Now, while you are waiting to access mental health services, you've got Google. You can Google, you know, depression awareness and um, places in Nottingham, you know, depression groups in Grimsby. And you will find somebody on the end of a phone, on a helpline, who will help you and be there for you. But believe you me, you may feel that you don't want to talk about it to people. But as soon as you do, that person will go, oh, my God, my brother has that. Oh, my God, my sister has yes. that. Oh, my God, yeah. I have that. You should never feel alone, ever. And I think your book has helped that because I think, like I say, I think it means so much. Whatever illness or whatever, pe I think that people in the public eye when people can be as honest as you, it really resonates with people because people do think, oh, my God, that can happen to her. You know, of course, it's fine that it's happening to me. I don't see why we should be any more embarrassed about talking about a mental illness, which is a chemical imbalance in the brain that we have no, no power over. No control. Over that, yeah. No control that we should over, over getting something else. So I made a decision early on to think, hey, if this can happen to me, if it can happen to anybody. And, you know, people would say, oh, you might not work again. And I'd go, well, do you know something? If, if the employer was somebody that wouldn't employ somebody who, who had never left, you know, who, who was always there for work, who was a very good actress, if they don't want to employ me, they're not the kind of people I want to work for anyway. Exactly. And we will put anyone listening, we'll put loads of loads of contacts on the uh, episode description if you want to go. But no, I would say I would say on behalf of everyone who has suffered or think they might be suffering, thank you, because it's amazing that people like you come forward and do that. So I think all credit to you. Um, and to bring it round, I mean, to end off, Denise, uh, I also love the fact you released a double A-side single when you were in Soldier Soldier as well. Oh, God, of course. You hit the charts. I think you reached number 23, which isn't bloody bad, to be honest. I was straight in at 23 and straight out the following week. <laughs> yeah. But you know something? 
what happened was that when I did that song, and it was obviously off the back of Robson and Jerome's success. I mean, theirs went crazy, didn't it? They went number one for about 40 weeks. Ridiculous. So I, I, I said to the producers of Soldier, Soldier, look, I'm sick of just making tuna sandwiches and everything. Can I have something <laughs> more interesting to do? So in series, in series five, they had Marsha become a, dr- a club singer with a drink problem. I don't know why. <laughs> but anyway, and um, so, uh, th- so I had to sing the show at a talent competition. You don't have to say you love me. And they were only ever going to show a tiny clip of it but, it, but they didn't. They showed the whole thing. But because the, the episode of Soldier Soldier aired in November, they obviously had to release the song in November. And the record company said to me that when you get released pre-Christmas, you are released against all the novelty records and all the, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, the hu- and the hugest records as well. You and I know that if it had been released earlier in the year, it would have, you would have been number, number one, one for number weeks. One. Of course I <laughs> of would. Course. Of course. I mean, people out there probably now wouldn't even realise what a double A-side single is. I mean, that that's gobbledygook to most people listening. You probably. don't have to see me, you say you love me and cry me a river. Oh, God. I mean, we should bring it back. We should bring it back. And we can't go without mentioning Loose Women, of course. You've been on... Since 2000 and, I can't, wait, was it, uh, it's years and years, isn't it? You left for a well, while. 18 years, 18 oh, years. Oh, I can't believe for that long. 18 years. But I left, it's been on 20 years. We celebrated our 20th anniversary. 20 years, years, which is it's incredible. It's been on 20 years, but I left, and then I had a, a hiatus for about six years, and then I've been back about two, two and a half. And can people rest assured you're still continuing with that? You're going to still be on Loose Women for our foreseeable future. Absolutely. Hollyoaks, you know, are being absolutely brilliant. And um, I am still very much going to be um, maybe a few less episodes leading, episode leading up to Christmas because I'm doing this other thing at the minute. But um, I, I'm definitely part of the, the team for as long as they'll have me. Well, my mum will never forgive me if I don't say she loves she she loves it so much more when you're on. She told me to tell you. So I have what's to her name? Your mum. My mum's Carol. Hi, Carol. Lots of love. You've got she a will love me. Oh, thank you, Denise. Well, listen, I feel like I know you. I mean, because we know all the same people. So we're bound to meet up soon. But it's been incredible to have you on to celebrate Corey's 60th and also to celebrate you because I think you're amazing. So thank you. Thank you so much, Lee. And take care. And we'll get you We'll get you to Christmas number one next year. Yes, please. The rap version. OK. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Denise. Thanks so much to the ever-busy Denise Welsh for sparing the time to have a chinwag with me for an hour. Coming up this Wednesday, a very special bonus edition of the podcast to celebrate Coronation Street 60th. It's their actual birthday on Wednesday. And I've got someone with me who's been in the show for over 30 years. My favourite character in the show ever, actually. So thanks to David Stevens and the Bothy for their edit and technical wizardry. Have a good few days and I will see you on Wednesday. 